This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, for our first show tonight, we're going to lean on the talents of several people. First and foremost, the impressive voice and delivery of one of the greatest actors and directors of all time, Orson Welles. Then we must mention the musician who aided him in making the lives of Harry Lyme a great hit on radio, Anton Karras. And it wouldn't do not to mention the chap who worked behind the scenes, producer Harry Allen Towers. Orson Welles reprises his role of Harry Lyme from the celebrated 1949 film, The Third Man. Orson Welles was an American actor, director, writer, and producer who worked in theater, radio, and film. And he's remembered for his innovative work in all three. In theater, most notably Caesar, 1937, a Broadway adaptation of William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. In radio, the legendary 1938 broadcast, The War of the Worlds, and in film, of course, Citizen Kane, 1941, consistently ranked as one of the greatest films ever made. The Adventures of Harry Lyme is one of the most successful series created by prolific radio producer Harry Allen Towers and his company Towers of London. The story of how Karras became involved, really I find most interesting, one night after a long day of filming A Third Man on Location in Vienna, Carol, the director uh, and uh, the cast members, along with Orson Welles, had dinner and retired to a wine cellar. Now, in the bistro, they heard the zither music of Anton Karras, a 40-year-old musician who was playing there just for the tips. Now, Reed immediately recognized and realized this was the music he wanted for his film. Karras, however, was reluctant since it meant traveling to England, but he finally accepted Karras wrote and recorded the 40 minutes of music heard in The Third Man over a six-week period. The composition that became famous as The Third Man Theme had long been in Karras' repertoire, but he had not played it in 15 years. He says, when you play in a cafe, nobody stops to listen. This tune takes a lot out of your fingers. I prefer playing the sort of thing one can play all night while eating sausages at the same time. So let's listen in to The Lives of Harry Lyon, and the episode first aired December 7th of 1951, entitled The Third Woman. Presenting Orson Welles, as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras.
That was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyme had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? It's very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyme. Yes. Major? Yes, yes. Come on, speak up. Corporal Lyme is here, sir. Oh, he is, is he? Well, you can tell Corporal Lyme I want to see him. Right now. You know, it's funny, but all during my military career, I've never seemed to be able to force myself to be very fond of the brass. You've got to have an army, you've got to have the brass, I suppose, but I don't honestly see why. Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man, in today's story, The Third Woman. You know something, Corporal Lyme? No, sir. If we could prove half of this stuff in this file, you'd be celebrating your 100th birthday in a military prison. Yes, sir. I dare say so, sir. Shut up and listen. You report to the address on this slip of paper. It's a tailor on Savile Row. The tailor has his instructions. He's to make you three suits, including the full soup and fish. And the whole outfit's to be ready in 48 hours. Isn't that awful? Yes, sir. Wait a minute, it gets worse. You go to the Savoy Hotel. You know where that is? Yes, sir. A room is reserved there for you. You're registered as a civilian. For purposes of cutting red tape, you're going to be a civilian. But here are your papers. You'll be taking a trip pretty soon. Yes, we're sending you away from all these bombs. It's discouraging. I tell you, this whole army is as nutty as a fruitcake. I didn't say that, did I, Lime? No, sir, you didn't. Look at these papers. Yes, sir. See how you're traveling? Uh, yeah, yes, sir, but this must be a joke. Oh, it's funny, all right. But it's true. There's the Allied Command is sending you on a holiday, Corporal Lab, and you're traveling as a civilian with the rank of full colonel. That's what I mean about brass. An unfriendly attitude. Unnecessary, I call it. Why couldn't the major have been nice? Well, if he was, I guess he wouldn't have been a major. Because if you look at it that way, I was going to have to begin changing my loyalties because according to my new papers, I was part of the brass now myself. I got my new suits and then they sent me to see a certain Captain Smith. I don't think that was his real name. He was something very high in the hush-hush department, but that was the name I was to call him by when we met. This was all set up for midnight on the right side of Cleopatra's Needle. <laughs> I tell you, the whole thing was so cloak and dagger it made me want to giggle, but of course I didn't. <laughs> very careful to play it straight. I didn't want to lose my nice new wardrobe. I say, could you give me a light? We're not supposed to show a light. That's correct. 
And what was in the bottle? Jenkins' ear. Good. How did Morgan die? He died a governor. Splendid, Mr. Lyme. All the answers perfectly correct. <laughs> Silly questions, what? <laughs> Silly answers, too, come to think of it. But the silliness makes it easier to remember, I always think. The mnemonics, don't you know? Right? Uh, right, right, if you say so, Captain Smith. Yes, well, now let's get down to cases. We've borrowed you from your people, Lyme, because of your special qualifications. Languages, looks, a certain rather celebrated aptitude for the opposite sex, <clears throat> and a fair share of unmitigated gall. Uh, yes, sir. Don't call me sir. Remember, this isn't the army, not strictly speaking. Yeah, this is another show. What do you think of spying, Lyme? Well, I, I don't know. I never tried. It's a dirty business, of course. Absolutely filthy. But then it's a profession like anything else. Yes, uh, I suppose. For one thing, the pay is abominable. That's why so many of the regular pros turn double agent on it. You know what a double agent is, don't you? Well, that's an agent who sells out to another power, isn't it? Yes. Well, on to most of that lot, of course. We use them when we can, but it's always sticky. No doubt about that, sticky. Well, first of all, of course, we're not dealing with soldiers or patriots, and no money arrangement is ever really final or binding. Mm. That's why we have to use pressure. Yeah. Uh, different sorts of pressure, don't you know? Blackmail, for instance. Right. Listen. Mm. Another one of those V2s. That was in Chelsea. Uh. Falling weapons, aren't they, guided missiles? I'll tell you something, Lyme, because it's going to be part of your job. This V2 is nothing. Jetty's getting ready with something a good deal worse in the same line. About ten times worse, according to our information. Yes. Somewhere in Europe, more than a hundred feet underground, there's a factory where they're busy perfecting quite a new thing. We've got to stop them, Lyme. Want to help? Oh, sure. You didn't ever happen to meet a female named Brunel, did you? No, I don't think so. Brunel, also brown, also groom. Well, that doesn't ring any bells. No, well, maybe when you see her, there'll be a small chime or two. She's been around, and so I gather have you, right? Well, I've been around a bit, Captain Smith, but I don't know your Brunel, brown or brune. Reddish blonde, sometimes auburn, gray eyes, rather tall, speaks eight languages perfectly, five or six more, well enough. Oh, she's been a professional agent for more than 15 years. Good at her work, too. Yes, she's quite valuable to us, off and on. This, it appears, is one of the off times. It's very much off. She was due to send us something rather important, you know, I... Gave you a hint about that. Oh, you, you mean the new rocket factory? Brunel has information about where it is and she won't send it? worse, she's given us false information. Mm. We think she really did manage to find out where this new guided missile thing's being built. And we guess she isn't telling us the truth because the Germans have some sort of hold over her. Yes, blackmail or something beastly. Now, we'd like you to see if you can't get some sort of line on just what it is. We don't really expect you to succeed, but well, go down and have a try, won't you? Yes, but wh what do I do? Where do I go? You'll receive sealed instructions when you get on the plane. On the plane? Details, background, all that sort of thing. Yes, but what do you mean? You'll see that car across the way. Well, I see a car, it's but... It's waiting to take you to the airport. Well, good hunting. <laughs> Pilots? Pilots? Yes. That doesn't look like the Bosporus to me. No, it doesn't. It, it looks like the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But don't you know what it says in my instructions? I mustn't tell that, you know. Those instructions are supposed to be secret. That's all very well, but I'm under orders to proceed to Istanbul, and here we are in... Where are we, anyway? Well, this flight isn't part of your show at all. We just happen to be carrying you, if you see what I mean. A little out of your way, of course. There's an awful lot of red tape attached to getting in and out of these new... Yeah, but my instructions are... Don't first... worry, there's bound to be someone of your chaps waiting to take you the rest of your journey tomorrow morning. Meanwhile, relax and enjoy Lisbon. We're coming in now. Oh, so that's where we are. Yes, you better fasten your seatbelt. 
wizard place, Lisbon. Sure enough, they had me all fixed up for a flight to Turkey in the morning. I wasn't complaining. There weren't any rockets falling on Lisbon. Anyway, it's always been one of my favorite places for having a good time. I checked into the hotel, changed into my nice new white tie and tails, and took a cab out to the casino at Estoril. What are you doing in Lisbon? My dear, in this city there are two things we try to avoid. The first is never, unless it's absolutely necessary, to address a friend by name. After all, you know one's name may not be one's name anymore. All right, honey, what's the second rule? It is a more strict one. We observe it very carefully. Fine, but you can't just expect me to obey the law if I don't know it. You asked me what I was doing in Lisbon. Oh, Sherry, no matter what the provocation, we never, never, under any circumstances, ask each other what we are doing in Lisbon. Well, I'm perfectly willing to tell you what I'm doing. Don't bother. Why not? I've got a good job. Oh? Yes. I represent the biggest Swedish manufacturers of ball bearings, and tomorrow I'm going up to Stockholm. To Stockholm? By way of Istanbul? Oh. You mean you know? Sherry, in Lisbon these days, everyone knows everything about everybody, and no one asks anybody anything. The first is a question of pride, and the second of politesse. It's very warm in here. Shall we go out on the terrace? Am I allowed to answer that one, or must I tell you in code? Um, you like it here in Lisbon, Genevieve? Or am I breaking the rules again? I have my work. And, of course, I mustn't ask you what the work is. You know, I remember when you used to be a nice little hard-working confidence girl in Cairo. You tried to avoid the cops of at least five different countries, but you weren't nearly so secretive. Okay, okay. What are we allowed to talk about now? Harry. Yeah? Why should we talk? That's true. Why should we? That was a nice kiss. You still do that very nicely, Harry, but... <laughs> What's the joke? You are such a terrible spy. Oh, I guess I am a spy. Listen, Harry, I've always liked you. I'm not working for your people, but I know what you're up to. Don't go to Istanbul. I haven't got any choice, honey. I think I'd go anyway. You know, make your ass as a cat. Why shouldn't I go? They put you onto something terribly big, honey. Terribly important. Well, that's very flattering, isn't it? Tell me, what do you know about a woman called Brunel? Oh, she's been an agent a long time. I don't know her, but I've seen her once in Saint-Moritz and again in Deauville. I hear she's clever. They're watching from the terrace. I must go back now, but please, honey, do not go to Istanbul. It's not the woman Brunel. It is the situation. I tell you, Harry, it's too big for an amateur. It's too big for anyone. Oh, but they've given me a chance. And why? Why have they sent you? Because you are so experienced in espionage? Oh, no, of course not. That isn't the reason. Then you know, Harry. You know why people like you are sent on missions like this? No, I can't say that I do. Because you do not matter at all, that is why. Because they don't care what happens to you, not one little bit. Because you are, how you say, expendable. Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man.
And now, Orson Welles, as the third man, continues with today's story, The Third Woman. We made good time to Istanbul with only a few nasty minutes, and I thought a couple of message minutes were going to get on our tail. But by 11 o'clock that evening, all my arrangements were made. I was carefully dressed once again in my nice new English white tie and tails. I made my way straight to Georgette's, an upholstered sewer masquerading as a nightclub, left my top hat with a check girl and called for the head waiter. Good evening, sir. You are alone, monsieur? Perhaps I can get mine here at table. Near the floor, senor. Where's Georgette? I beg pardon? You heard me, Georgette. Georgette? Yes, where is he? There's no one here by that name, sir. This is for you. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, please come this way. Through here, sir. Thanks. If you will step through the kitchen, sir. Here we are. J'espère vous voir demain, chérie. Nous allons parler ensemble. Excuse, please. Yes, what is he? Uh, there is a gentleman here who says he knows you. Oh, yes, and who? Harry. Hiya, George. Well, well, Harry. Uh, just a minute. J'ouvre vous demain, comme d'habitude. Oui? Oui, au revoir. Well. Well, Harry. May I sit down? I won't be able to stop you. What you after? Information. Willing to pay for it. With money? With money. Top market price. You know an agent called Brunel? Suppose I did. Who's shaking her down? Who wants to know? People with the money, George. There's a lovely American Cadillac, Harry. A custom-made body. I'll, I'll give you the address of the man who wants I'll to sell it. I'll drive it over to your place tomorrow. What's the address? Not my address, Harry. That wouldn't be very discreet. There's a new nightclub out by the pyramids. The Sphinx? You get around, don't you? Want the car at the Sphinx? Yes, leave it in the parking lot about midnight tomorrow. Uh, give the key to the doorman. And then what? I'll have a table reserved for us inside. If you don't like what I tell you, you can take back the key. Otherwise, I'll drive home in a new Cadillac, okay? The next day, I bought the car. And that night, I left it in the parking lot by the Sphinx. I got a nice big salam from the Senegalese doorman when I gave him the car key. And inside, I found Georgette waiting for me at a ringside table. Oh, it's a nice place, isn't it? Hello, Not Harry. better than that flea bag of yours. What are you drinking? Anything. Make mine a double scotch. Now oh, then, let's have the dope. I hate to do this, Harry. It goes against my principles. Oh, cut it out, Georgie uh, boy. Let's get down to kiss. The party you were asking about has a sister. Oh, is that it? A younger sister. Where is she now? She's in Istanbul, too, but uh, she isn't free to move around very much. You mean it's a snatch? You might say she's being held as a hostage. Who's doing the holding? The young lady whose name, by the way, is Julie, arrived in Turkey three weeks ago for her holidays. She's, she's been going to school in Switzerland. She hadn't seen her older sister for a year. Come on, Georgette, where is she? You might say um, she's a guest at a certain embassy. What embassy? I prefer not to use proper names, Harry. Here's the address. Mm. Yes, I told you not to use any names, Harry. Yeah, tough gang here in Istanbul, even for Nazis, ever since Van Papen was... One more name and I leave. Not by car, sweetheart. The key the doorman's holding doesn't oh, fit. Crossing me up as usual, Not Harry. at all. Here's the real key. You get it when you're finished. Finished what? I've told you everything I know. You told me Brunel's sister's been kidnapped by the Keep Germans. Keep your voice down, Harry. Okay. Sister's being held in the German embassy. How long do you think they can keep her? Well, this is as good as mine. 
I'd say for as long as Brunel herself can be forced to function effectively. You mean as a double agent? Of course. She must have got onto something good, and the Germans must be particularly anxious for her not to spill it. They're probably hoping to use it to lead your people just as far away from the truth as possible, and uh, for as long as possible. And uh, what happens when Brunel gets tired of cooperating? She's very fond of that kid sister. Well, what happens to her finally, to Julia? I mean, they'll kill her, won't they? Yes. I should think so. Uh, waiter! Waiter, bring me another anisette. What is it? Miss Brunel? What do you want? I came here to see you about Captain Jenkins. What about him? His ear is in a bottle. Also, there's Governor Morgan. Come in, come in. Okay. No need for that, Rigmarole. I know who you are. You're Harry Lyon. You used right. to run contraband out of Marseille in 37. I met you once in Monte Carlo. Now they've sent you from London. What's your message? Sorry, I haven't got any message. Nonsense. They've sent you here to tell me something. What is it? The message is supposed to come from you, Miss Brunel. Uh, it's about 500 RAF planes waiting for the address of a certain rocket factory. The information is past due. I've sent the information through the regular channels. It wasn't information. The London people took the trouble to check up on it. What you sent was the location and description of a shoe factory in Norway. And, Miss Brunel, do you know what they're actually making in that factory? No. Shoes. The London people think you have another address. Brunel, they sent me to get it from you. I've always given perfect satisfaction. My, my save it, honey, is... save it. Let's get the whole thing down to facts. Fact one, you know where that rocket factory really is. Fact two, I know where your kid sister really is. Fact three, get me the rocket factory, and I'll deliver Julie. How can you do that? There, there are over 60 people in the embassy. She's up on the third floor. There are armed guards. They're giving a reception, aren't they, tomorrow night? Who? The German embassy, honey. Don't go stupid on me. I want an invitation. But how can I do that? You can do it. You're working for them, aren't you? Here's the name. I've squared it with the Istanbul police. You go on from there. Get me the invitation to that party and get yourself two tickets for Switzerland. You mean you really the think... The plane leaves at 4.30 in the morning. Bring all the information on that rocket factory to the airport. I'll bring Julie. Well, uh, goodbye now. Sorry, but I've got to run. Where are you going? I'm going to play pinochle with the chief of the Turkish fire department. Well, goodbye for now. Promptly at ten the next night... Bearing my invitation from the Nazi embassy, courtesy of Miss Brunel, and wearing the best Savile Row white tie and tails, courtesy of the Allied Command, I paid my respects to His Excellency, the German ambassador. Hi, Littler. Ah, good evening, sir. Mr. Cotton, uh, Cotton isn't it? Yes. yes, I believe that is the name, Mr. Mr. Cotton. Cotton is the name, yes, sir. Good evening, Mr. Ambassador. It's awfully nice of you to invite oh, me. Oh, it is our Thank pleasure, much, Mr. Sir. Cotton. The German Reich is particularly interested in the development of industry. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, I would like to put a few questions to you privately, Mr. Cotton. Won't well, you please uh, step this way? Well, Mr. Ambassador... So I won't keep you long if you will just step into the elevator. All right. After you, please. Thanks, sure. It is rash to talk serious business in this mm. large public gathering. We will be much quieter in my study. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ah, Through here, Mr. Lyme. Hey. Put up your hands, Mr. Lyme. Hi. And keep them, sir. This gentleman, as you can see, is armed, and this room is quite soundproof. He will not hesitate to use his gun. Okay. 
Now what happens? We will discuss that a bit later, Mr. Lyon. Now I must return to my guests. Meanwhile, Gerhard here will keep you company. Well, well, Gerhard, here we are. Keep your hands up. Uh, this says I'm stupid, Gerhard. Do you agree with him? All the Americans are stupid. Do you think it'd be stupid for me to try to get that gun away from you, Gerhard? Well, I suppose it would, but... Anyway, I'm going to try. <laughs> Sorry, I only got you in the leg, old man, but I never was much of a shot. What I, what I need today is to practice my marksmanship, and since this is such a nice soundproof... <laughs> What are you doing? What shall I try for, Gerhard? An arm or the other leg? No, no. All right, then. Where's the girl? What girl? Uh... Well, it's your right hand, wasn't it, Gerhard? Now, then, let's try for a foot. No, no, she's in there. Through that door. Okay, thanks. Julie, Julie. What do you want? I'm not one of the Nazis, Julie. You have to take my word for it. I'm your sister's friend. That's the elevator. The elevator? They're coming up. Bolt the door. What do any good? This door is the only way out. Well, there's the window. No use. The window's locked, isn't it? Here, give me that chair. I tell you, it's no use. One, two, three. There'll be gardens on this side of the house. No one will hear. And beside the embassy guards... Oh, they're starting to break down the door. Jump, Julie. Through the window? Through the window. Where else, you little mug? It's forced doors to the ground. Shut up and jump. That's the girl. Put down that gun, Lime. Look out below, Julie. I'm coming after you. It's four stories, Lime. You wish to kill yourself. Well, Mr. Ambassador, you told me I was stupid. Our feet is in. That night, I was seen in the streets of Istanbul, one of the strangest sights in the history of that historic city. A procession, a procession of firemen, firemen bearing two bundles wrapped in canvas, rushed out of the German compound and boarded a fire truck, a gigantic hook and ladder. Then, out of the bundles, which were, of course, firemen's jumping nets, there emerged two figures, a young lady by the name of Julie and a gentleman called Harry Lyme. Where to, Mr. Lyme? Where do we take you? To the airport and step on it. Come on, speak up. Corporal Lime is here, sir. Oh, he is, is he? Well, you can tell Corporal Lime I want to see him right now. Here I was back in London. Here was my old friends, the Major and Captain Smith. Only this time the Major had a new sheaf of papers concerning my exploits on the desk in front of him. Less about black market this time and more about Harry Lime, the hero. I came to attention, saluted smartly. Corporal Lyon. Yes, sir. I've been reading your report. Yes, Very sir. interesting. Thank you, sir. Oh, there's just one thing. Yes, Captain Smith? Well, Turkey is a neutral country. How did you manage to get all that cooperation out of the fire department? Well, I used persuasion, sir. You'll find it all down on the expense account, Major. Mm. Mm. I thought you might like to know, Corporal, that there was quite an air raid the other night over a certain factory on the Baltic Sea. The Germans won't be making that new rocket, Corporal. Not for some time, anyway. Oh, I'm glad to hear it, sir. I suppose you think we owe the whole thing to you, don't you, Corporal? Well, we don't. Uh, no, sir? That air raid was held three nights ago when you were in Lisbon. Three nights? Uh, 
But, sir... Brunel wasn't the only source of information. Not by a long shot. Uh, I'm instructed to tell you that the facts we were looking for were sent to us from Portugal, from an agent by the name of Genevieve. However, we're most grateful for your help. I've been asked to give you this. Wait a minute, where did I put it? Sometimes I think this isn't a war at all, but a grand convention of lunatics. I didn't say that, did I, Corporal? No, sir, you didn't. I didn't think I did. Here you are. This is from the British with their compliments. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, what is it? It's an address. We thought you might have lost it. Well, it's that tailor in Savile Row. Yeah. They want you to return the suit. <laughs> Lime returns in just a moment. Lyme. The one thing about Genevieve, she taught me a lesson. Now I understand why women make better spies than men. They're so obviously more honest. You know, you always presume they're lying. Never even suspect that they might be telling the truth. Stay tuned for The Jack Benny Show, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Jack Benny Show that was first aired in 1949. The Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny, with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, The Sportsman, and yours truly, Don Wilson. gentlemen, for 16 years I've been introducing the star of our show, and after all those years, you'd think I'd run out of things to say about him. Well, I have. So here he is, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, Don, that wasn't a very nice introduction. Well, I'm sorry, Jack, but after 16 years, I just couldn't think of anything new. Oh, you couldn't, eh? Well, Don, I'm sure that if I were introducing you, I wouldn't have that trouble. Oh, yes, you would, Jack. You've been saying the same things about me for years. Why, well, I'll bet you can't say anything that I haven't heard before. Oh, yes, I can, Don. What? You're fired. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> now, 
Ladies and gentlemen, we'll proceed. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jack. You're not serious, are you? Well... You can't fire me. After all, I've got a wife and three chins to support. Don, stop worrying. You've been with me for 16 years, and I hope you're with... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hello, Don. Hello, Mary. I'm sorry I'm late, Jack, but my car wouldn't start this morning, and I had to take the bus. Oh, that's all right. Well, say, Mary, if your car ever gives you trouble again, why don't you call on me? I'll drive you down. You've seen my new car, haven't you? (laughs) Yes, I have, Don, and on you it looks good. Certainly does. Well, wait a minute. I understand you called me on the phone yesterday. What did you want? Well, you always like to know when I get letters from my mother, and I got one yesterday. In fact, I brought it with me. Oh, a letter from your mother, eh? Uh Uh-huh. Well, what does the mock kettle of Plainfield have to say? (laughs) Well, just a second, and I'll read it to you. Okay. My darling daughter, Mary... As you'll notice from the stationery, I'm writing this from the Plainfield Hotel. The reason we're here is because three days ago, we shut the house up and had it fumigated on account of the pests. We got rid of them, all except your Uncle Lou and Cousin Willie. Well, it's about time. We really don't... Your mother didn't start out very funny, incidentally. Go ahead. (laughs) We really don't mind Willie, as he's very little bothered. He spends all his time down in the basement with his printing press. He has to work night and day because his biggest, biggest competitor is the United States government. Your mother writes them all right. You just can't read them. <laughs> I was blaming the mother. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. I'm sorry. Oh, there's more. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, Mary, dear, I kind of like Willie because he's so sweet and thoughtful. Every Mother's Day, he gives me a $10 bill with my picture on it. Oh, I guess I was right in the first place. <laughs> now for a paragraph or two about your sister, Babe. Ah, good. This is the part I like. <laughs> Since the warm weather is here, your sister, Babe, got herself one of those new French bathing suits. She tried it on yesterday, and I haven't seen so much of Babe since the doctor said it's a girl. <laughs> However, she's very happy with the suit. Next month, she's entering a swimming contest. A contest? Yeah, I didn't even know that she could swim. Oh, sure, Jack. Babe's a regular mermaid. Well, I've noticed the resemblance, except the, the wrong half looks like a fish. <laughs> funnier than your mother today. <laughs> Continue with the letter, Mary. Okay. Uh, Mary, dear, you'll be happy to know that Babe is also taking dancing lessons from Arthur Murray. Well. <laughs> <laughs> he got a swell deal, too. He teaches her dancing and she fixes his plumbing. I knew she could do it. You know, Mary, your mother writes some of the funniest letters, though, I've ever heard. Oh, uh, she certainly does, Mary. They're loaded with laughs. Yeah, they're screams. Oh, hello, Dennis. When did you come in? When they found out Mary's sister Babe was a girl. <laughs> oh, then you missed the start of the letter. Would you like me to read it to you? Oh, no. I'll hear it on tonight's rebroadcast. Oh, yes, yes. By the way, Dennis, you were off the program last week. Uh, was anything wrong? Oh, no, Mary. Mr. Benny gave me a week off so I could go away for a little vacation. I sure enjoyed myself. I went fishing on Lake Mead. Well, how was the fishing, Dennis? Oh, it was wonderful. Boy, was I lucky. What'd you catch? Four trout, three perch, five bass, and a high-button shoe. A high-button shoe? Yeah, but it was too small, so I had to throw it back. <laughs> oh, fine. He bought a shoe. You ought to see the hip boot that got away. <laughs> oh, why? I wish I could get away and do a little fishing. That's one of my favorite sports. Fishing? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a thrill it is to hook a silvery rainbow trout. 
one of nature's loveliest creations. What a sight as it breaks the water in a shimmering shower of glistening drops and the sunlight reflecting on its iridescent beauty. Look how he describes the fish. Me, he can't see anything nice. <laughs> talking about? Nothing, nothing. Say, Dennis, how long were you at Lake Mead? Oh, we were there for a whole week, and I spent all my time out on the boat. A whole week on a boat? Avast there, you landlubber. Larboard the starboard and drop the anchor. Look, Dennis. Give him the timbers a man the pumps and we'll all drown like rats. Dennis, that's enough. Ahoy, me hearty, batting the barton and pooping down the poop deck. <laughs> Now, <laughs> uh, Dennis, that's enough. Do you hear? Throw that talk, Mr. Christian, or I'll swing you from the highest yard arm of the British fleet. Oh. <laughs> Mary, see what you can do with him, will you? Dennis, Jack is right. Why don't you... Let Dennis... the men mutiny, my lass, and don't worry. The ship may be rocking and pitching, but I'll sail it through this hurricane or... 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 Dennis, what's the matter? I'm seasick. <laughs> Good, good. Now, look, Popeye, it's time for your song. What are you going to sing? Careless Hands. Okay, let's have it. Aye, aye, sir.
done by Dennis Day. Very good, Dennis. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction tonight, we are going to do our version of that Warner Brothers picture, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And I better cast it right now. I, of course, will play the leading role. Of, of course. course. <laughs> Listen, I'll give a performance that'll... Okay, sing. folks, you're all in clover, because Harris is here and this lull is over. Phil, Phil, why do you always have to come in here and ask the audience to applaud? Well, I ain't going to get no laughs with the jokes you give me, and I want to hear some kind of noise. <laughs> well, you've got no right to complain about the jokes. You get as many laughs on this program as I do. That's what I mean. I want to hear some kind of noise. Applaud me, folks. Phil! Phil! All right, all right. I'll read the stuff that's written here, but I thought a little ad-libbing would liven things. Hiya, Liv. <laughs> Hello, Phil. How are Alice and the children? Oh, fine, Liv, fine. Just left them. You know, this being the first day of May, I drove them over to the park for a big May party. A May party? Yeah, you should have seen all them kids. They looked so cute as they danced around me. Dance around you? Didn't they have a maypole? Yeah, but I was prettier. <laughs> Let me sit down with you, Dennis. I'm seasick, too. <laughs> Phil, you should have seen Mary's letter from her mother. Nice, huh? Yeah, she wrote the letter stuttering. She wrote it that way. <laughs> but look at Phil. You know, between you and Remley, I've never Wait seen... Wait a minute, you... Jackson. Hold it, Dad. What? Just a minute, bud. I don't care what you say about me, but don't pick on Remley. Phil, Phil, calm down. Yeah, what's wrong? Well, may as well tell you why I've always tried to protect Remley. Yeah. What? Well, you see, well, I promised Frankie's poor old mother that I'd always look after her. Oh. When was that? When she'd throw him out of the house. <laughs> and I don't like to brag, Jackson, but I've taken pretty good care of Frankie during all these years. Uh, by the way, Phil, it's none of my business, but how much do you pay Frankie? Well, I, I don't give him no regular salary. I, uh... I just take care of his needs, like room, board, and bail. <laughs> oh, fine. Say, Jackson, before I go, there was something I wanted to ask you. Oh, yeah, look, last week you told me you were going to buy a new car. What kind did you get? I didn't get any, Phil, but I may get a new one this summer. Well, look, be sure you get one of them new models that comes equipped with the Dynaflex Superflowing Unijet Turbo Vasculator, which is synchro-meshed with the multi-coil, hydro-tension, duo-vacuum, dyne-no-modder. <laughs> Come in the modern fodder modern. <laughs> well, well, outside of that last word, listen, that was amazing. I mean, how'd you ever say that? A Harvard man fixes my teeth. <laughs> well, I gotta be leaving. So long, kids. So long, Phil. Hey, folks, I'm leaving. You want to throw just one more on me? Phil, get out of here! Oh, boy, what a character. You know, Jack, Phil is conceited. Conceited? Mary, you should have heard the things he told me yesterday while I was giving him a Tony. 
Now, where were we? Well, you were casting the play we're going to do. Oh, yes, the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Now, Don, you're going to be my partner when we go hunting for gold. And, Dennis, you're going to be the old prospector, the part that was played by Walter Houston. And let's see, uh, where's Mel Blank? Here I am, Jack. Folks, it's Mel Blank. Give him a big hand. Jack, we're all going to be in the play. Why don't you just give him applause? Well, Mary, I have to. It's in his contract. <laughs> you mean you give money and applause, too? No money, just applause. <laughs> Amazing, you know, how much you can save when you got a lot of hams working for you. <laughs> now, Mel, you're going to be the leader of the Mexican bandit. And, oh, yes, Dennis, besides being the old prospector, you'll come in later as one of the bandits. Gee, two parts. It's hard to believe I can sing, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, for our version of Warner Brothers' thrilling adventure story, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. <laughs> As our scene opens, it's a hot, humid, sultry day, and a lonely, hungry, penniless American is roaming the streets of Tampico, Mexico. Walking. Walking. That's all I've been doing for two whole days. Just walking. No place to sleep. Nothing to eat. Nothing to drink. Well, I'll see what I can do in this saloon. Gee, this place is crowded. Hey, bartender. Bartender. Hey, si, senor. What will you have? Give me three fingers. You three fingers of what? Just three fingers. I'm hungry. <laughs> Give me three fingers of anything. If I don't get something to eat pretty soon, I'll go crazy. I am. Big boy. Huh? Good to see an American down here, even though you do need a shave and your clothes are torn. You look like a derelict. What's the matter? It's a long story. I used to be a famous radio comedian. I had a big house, a swimming pool, and everything. And all of a sudden, I'm a bum. What happened? Television. <laughs> Television? What's that? I don't know, but the wrestlers have all the good writers now. <laughs> anyway, let's not talk about me. What's a girl like you doing way down here in Mexico? I work in the Tampico branch of the make company. <laughs> they have a branch in Mexico? Yeah, I'm in the Jose department. <laughs> better than your mother's letter. <laughs> well, look, sister, how about you and hey, me? Hey, Pokey. Pokey, I've been looking all over town for you. Who's your friend? That's my partner, Curtin. Sam Curtin. He and I came down here looking for gold. Yeah, gold. Every time I think of it, I go crazy. Gold! Gold, I can see it now. There it is. There it is. It's mine! It's mine! Gold! Gold! Put that back. That's my pivot, too. <laughs> You know, sister, 
He goes crazy every time he thinks of gold. Well, doesn't gold mean anything to you? Eh, I can take it or love it. I mean, Lisa. Well, you boys are interested in looking for gold. There's an old prospect around here who knows every spot of the Sierra Madre. If you can get him to go with you, you'll strike it rich. Where does the old prospector live? Well, you can't miss it. You're right down Flamingo Road. Flamingo Road. Flamingo Road. Flamingo Road. Are you stuttering? No, but I promised Warner Brothers I'd mention it three times. <laughs> Come on, Curtin. Let's go. Hey, Curtin, this must be the house where the old prospector lives. Yeah, knock on the door. Okay. Howdy, Bob. Hello, old-timer. My name is Humphrey Bogey. What's yours? Titus Houston. Well, we've heard that you know all about the gold in the Sierra Madre, and we thought maybe you'd come up into the mountains with us. Sorry, son, but I'm too old for that now. There was a time when I used to go up into them hills and stay for months and months at a time. Uh-huh. Then it would get me. I was only human, you know. I'd have to come back, be back in town with a load of gold, and in a couple of nights, I'd blow it all in. Women, eh? No, Kleenex. I got hay fever. <laughs> well, look, old-timer, if you won't go with us, maybe you can tell us where we can find the gold. Sure. Here's a map of old Mexico. See? You can't go wrong. You take the main road through Tampico till you pass El Paso. After you pass El Paso, you go through El Truo and turn left at El Lefto. Well, if we turn El Rito. That's El Rongo. <laughs> Is that where the gold is? Nope. That's where you buy your burrows. Burrows? Yep. There's a place right on the corner. Madman Hernandez. <laughs> and he'll sell them to us? Yep. But you'll have to carry an awful lot of water for them. Why? Hernandez wanted his burrows to look like Buicks, so he cut holes in their sides. <laughs> oh, well, we got to be getting along, old-timer. You sure you don't want to come with us? Nope, but I'll see you later. You will? Yep, I come back on page 12 as a Mexican bandit. <laughs> well, come on, Curtin. Let's go. What's the matter, Bogey? You look unhappy. Well, why shouldn't I be? We've got the map. We know where the gold is, but we can't get it because we don't have any money to buy equipment. Well, senora... Senora, huh? in there, in the saloon, there is a telephone call for you. In there, for you, in the saloon, in there. Huh? For you. For me? In there. Is it an important call? <laughs> See, an important call. For you. A telephone call for me. Who could it be? I'm 2,000 miles away from home. Well, I might as well find out. Come on, Curtin. Wait for me at the bar, Curtin. I'll answer the phone. Okay. Hello? Yeah, speaking. Huh? Sure, I can answer that. The Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620. Thank you. Goodbye. Hey, Curtin! What's up, Bogey? We got the burrows, the picks, the shovels, the sleeping bags, and a refrigerator. Where'd you get them? That phone call. I just won them on a quiz program. 
tacos or leave it. Good. Now let's go and find that gold. All right, before we go, I want to buy drinks for the house. Okay, everybody. The drinks are on me. Come on, everybody. Up to the bar. Hey, Bogey, those four Mexicans just came in a waving at you. Where? Oh, yes. Buenos dias, amigo. Come on, boys. I'll pay for it. Let's have a song. Tampico, Tampico, on the Gulf of Mexico. Tampico, Tampico, that's the place for you to go. Feeling low, feeling dead. These days first make common sense. Okay, lucky like you met. You will feel your level best. From some north of Monte Delta, there's a lucky in every one sister. And they treat every sister and sister. My uncle, my aunt, and my sister. Ella, 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 but it was worth it. We got ten sacks to go. Yeah, ten more sacks, and then we... Wait, wait. Look, coming up the trail. Mexican bandit. Curtain, quick, take out your gun. But I haven't got a gun. What? What did you say, Curtain? I haven't got a gun. Ah, that's ridiculous. Who ever heard of a curtain without a rod? <laughs> Little burrow. Yeah, we will take the little burrow. 
It is equipped with the Dyniflex Super Flowing Unijet Turbo Rasculator, which is synchromesh with the multi coil aero tension dual vacuum dynamometer, I think. Look back. Take our gold. Take our pearls, but don't kill us. I will tell you what I do, senor. I give you a fighting chance. Here's a weapon for you and a weapon for me. What? You count to ten and may the best hombre win. All right. All right, I'll come. One, two, three. Ooh, not yet. Four, five, six. Ooh, wait a minute. Seven, eight. Ooh, you're cheating. I think. Nine, ten. You missed me. That's better. Ooh. Bogey, Bogey, when he started shooting, why didn't you shoot back? I couldn't. He gave me a knife. <laughs> Goodbye, Curtin. Ladies and gentlemen, your life, your property can be lost through fire. Don't let it happen in your home, in public places, or in the country. Be careful. Be on guard against fire. Prevent fires in your community. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes another program, and we'll be with you again oh, next Jack. Sunday night when we... Huh? Jack. What? While you were doing the sketch, a wire came for you from Humphrey Bogart. From who? Humphrey Bogart. Not from Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> Mary, yeah. what's the matter with you today? A wire came to me from Humphrey Bogart? Yes. Well, read it to me. This wire you don't read. You twist it around your neck. Be sure to hear Dennis Day in a day in the life of Dennis Day. Stay tuned for the Amos and Andy Show, which follows immediately. CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Boston Blackie, followed by Challenge of the Yukon. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.